Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. And we're still seeing it quite well through that haze. The fight is growing. E equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovations. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host for the day, Ryan Treasure, and we're going to be bringing you a fantastic topic around healthcare. I know that's an extremely important component of our society here in the U.S. and all over the world. Everybody wants to uh, have affordable healthcare to make sure that we keep, you know, our bodies and minds and everything uh, in tip-top shape. Uh, and so today we're going to be talking to a fantastic guest, uh, Dr. Singleton, a board-certified anesthesiologist and president of the Association. Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. She has a huge bio that reads after this with her uh, uh, work at Harvard, her work at UC Berkeley in law school. So a very highly educated person. Marilyn Singleton, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be here. Hello, hello. Well, we appreciate you taking your time out uh, to come and sit down with us and, you know, just have a candid conversation around Topics that matter, and I know healthcare is uh, an extremely important topic. I have a family and children of my own, and you know, taking care of their health is of the utmost importance for me. And I'm sure it's the same way for everybody across the country. Uh, but before we get into kind of the the status of the current healthcare system here in America, let's just back up a little bit, uh, you know, Doctor Singleton, and have you kind of give us a a broad stroke idea of you know how you found your frequency and what made you decide to you know go down this path of medicine and do what you're doing now. I come from a long line of doctors. Um, my father was a doctor. My grandfather was a doctor, and growing up that just seemed like that's what I wanted to do. I had also wanted to be a lawyer. My uncle was a lawyer and I through college just said I just thought I was cut out more for medicine and that it would stay more interesting which it always has and it's, it's a very exciting profession to be in and you're kind of half scientist half social worker and that's the best part of it. Oh, that, I, that's awesome. I went into law uh, around the 90s after the Clinton Health Plan was being bandied about. I really wanted to know how laws were written, what administrative law is all about, and what the Constitution was all about. And I'm so glad I did. I just feel like I learned so much and was able to do some health law and work in a national health law project and really get a feel for what the, the tension is between physicians who work with patients every day and work in our system every day and lawmakers who are very uh, theoretically oriented. And sometimes the theory and the practicality don't exactly mesh. Yeah, I think it's really cool that you're you're uniquely positioned because of, um, you know, your medical degree as well as your, you know, your your background in, in, in law to really look at 
what's coming out of Washington, you know, what that legislation looks like uh, from a from a law perspective. But then you're also able to, you know, kind of put that into perspective in the real world on the MD side. And so, you know, as you look at those components and you're like, wow, they have all this stuff coming out that they want to do, but I'm a doctor and I'm like, this will never work in pre- in real life. You know, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, you know, how, how, do, how does one thing complement the other for, you know, you to meet your end goal? Uh, so much of it is number one, I know how to look at a law and it's almost like a trick of lawmakers where you look at, in fact, the Affordable Care Act, half the law is not written in plain English and it says sections such and such and such and such of the Public Health Act will be amended to read. And so you're getting half a piece of what the entire paragraph really is. And then such and such of the Social Security Act will be amended to read. So most people just kind of give up because you have to cross reference to what they're adding to and it takes hours and hours and hours sometimes to read a a bill that's maybe only 50 pages, but it's all in cross references. And in the Affordable Care Act, they reference to the Internal Revenue Code, Public Health Act, Social Security Act, and it was just a mess. And it even referenced school loans, which I thought was very interesting that they included as part of the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, I think that's probably education. one of my yeah, much one of my biggest pet peeves about about anything that comes out of Washington is, you know, when you read that stuff, it's like, okay, you have you know, item A that you guys are trying to address by you guys. I mean, those guys in Washington, not you, <laughs> uh, but you know, the things that they're trying to address, it'll be like item A and you're like, oh, okay, we're going to, we're going to address, you know, immigration. And then you read through the bill and all of a sudden, like, you know, 73 pages into the bill, it's no longer about immigration. It's about f- using this funding that they're talking about to pull 10% off to go fund something else, which has nothing to do with immigration, which, you know, and, and if they're doing that in law uh, uh, for, for healthcare and all of that, I mean, how, how aggravating is that? Oh, it's totally aggravating. And I'm sure all of us in our own individual states, you'll find out that they sneak things into laws that have a different title. And you're totally stunned when suddenly you're faced with something you have to do. And where did that come from? And it's in some law that that's not even the title of the law. So it's sometimes I feel like we're just here to be tricked by the <laughs> legislators. So doc, uh, Dr. Singleton, I interviewed a woman last week who runs a website called disapprove.org. Um, you should definitely go check that out. It is a giant movement um, for disapproving of the way our senators in congressional leadership are handling certain items. Uh, it's a really fantastic movement. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization. Uh, and just to kind of tell you a quick story, which I thought would be funny is, uh, you know, they started off their organization by sending senators fortune cookies. Uh, with with little notes inside the fortune cookies, and some of those notes said something like, "I hope you you I hope you lose your next election by one vote, and then find out it was your mom." Oh, I love it. <laughs> so I think maybe we need to get you on board with disapprove.org as well, because you're you know in the thick of things, kind of you know really seeing that legislation that's coming out, and you know we got to do something about it, right? Absolutely. 
And there's actually groups that are trying to decrease regulations. And here there was supposed to be a law that for every new regulation, you had to get rid of an old one. And But these things never seem to happen. And when you look at the regulations, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of pages. And people don't even know what it, the government is up to. And that's the part that really scares me. And when you actually start to read this stuff, you think, oh my goodness, what does the average guy on the street do? They don't know how to read this. And it, it's almost hidden from the everyday guy. And there's very few places you can find these things broken down into simple language where people would know what the government is up to. Yeah, we need a, you know, some kind of a watchdog or something like that. I think that gives the people information in plain English because, you know, I, you know, you, you have being um, having been in law and studying that have a really good understanding of the verbiage that's used in a lot of those measures. But, you know, even myself, I'm a, I'm a fairly well-read person, educated. Uh, I've been in media for 20 plus years. I've done a lot of investigating, a lot of research, a lot of reading. And I come across some of these bills and I'm like, the I feel like the 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 way that these are written, the the more challenging the language is, that the more they're hiding. <laughs> right, <laughs> and and they become so convoluted that uh, you you wonder they could have probably written the whole thing in about two paragraphs, but then all the ins and outs and adding a little of this in and a little of that in. <laughs> they, they just make it totally ununderstandable. And it, it makes me think, don't you have anything better to do with your time? And <laughs> there's, there's very difficult problems that we have in this country, but no one's taking the time to sit down, discuss them with everyone, just sit there and write a convoluted bill. It makes whatever legislator wrote the bill look like they're doing something when in fact they're not really doing all that much for their constituents. Yeah. And, I, and wouldn't you think too, if, if you had a piece of legislation that went to law uh, and it was written in plain English without all the fancy terminology, if for any reason it did need to be reviewed by the Supreme court for any kind of judgment, wouldn't it be a lot easier for the Supreme court to put a ruling on something if it was easier for them to understand and interpret? <laughs> well, let's hope the Supreme court <laughs> can read anything that's the thing <laughs> i just know yeah. that there's a, there's a lot of litigation where you know um it's 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 how a given body interprets a given law which then sets a precedence for you know uh, future rulings on that and i kind of feel you know if some of those items were put into the plain english a little bit easier uh you know then setting that precedence uh based upon the legislative action uh would be a lot easier to do less taxpayer money less time being spent on each of the things like all the way across the board starting from whoever wrote the legislation in the first place they need to spend less time on that making it less you know wordy and then you know moving it along through our our system you know here in america uh, making those things easier to read would be easier for everybody the people the writer the interpreter <laughs> that's right it'd be a good start and number one the people need to know what's really going on and where things aren't buried under layers and layers of verbiage and and added on regulations 
where we really don't know what's going on. And that's just plain not right. Well, I think let's pivot and talk about that. You know, what what is going on right now in in the in the space of healthcare? We have, you know, a president who absolutely hates Obamacare, you know, has been working to do different things there. Um, you know, we have a divided country, I feel, of people who are, you know, for Obamacare, some that are against Obamacare, and then you have a lot of new stuff that's that's being, you know, kind of funneled down the direction, you know, about universal healthcare and all of that. And I know you wrote an article article about that. So let's kind of discuss that uh, in the, in the current status of where, you know, we are as Americans and, and, and in, in the, in the positioning of healthcare for us, which is being decided for us, uh, which I, which I think is terrible and why I don't like Obamacare just specifically because it takes away my choice, which is part of my inherent being a free human being here in the United States of America uh, and being able to make that choice. But what, what is the, you know, lack of a better term, the, the current status of healthcare in America? Okay, well, let's begin with something you just said, that you like to have your choice. And it's interesting that even when Obamacare came out, 87% of people said they were happy with what they have. And there was something rather perverse in my mind of, for 13% of the population, you upend the entire system for everyone else. So that's for starters. And we've seen the various health insurance products decrease and decrease over time as some of the, the companies merge or they had to drop certain products. And it was having a wide variety that made the insurance business affordable. And suddenly it became unaffordable with these ridiculously high premiums, high deductibles, and um, for services a lot of people didn't even want. So enter Bernie Sanders with his Medicare for All, and then the House just came out with a new version of their Medicare for All, which says, okay, since the ACA isn't working, which is kind of interesting because it admits that it's not working, we'll give Medicare to the entire country. Well, number one, Medicare has its own flaws and its own funding issues. And so for starters, we have to pay for Medicare, not only in your taxes as you're going through your working life, but once you're on Medicare, they take the premiums for so-called Part B, which are doctor services. They take that out of the Social Security check. You have to buy Medicare Part D, which is prescription drugs. And most people don't know this or they don't think about it. When you're on Medicare, if you don't sign up for those things, as soon as you turn 65 and are eligible to sign up, you get penalized and they raise the price 10% a year in perpetuity. And so they're kind of forcing you to sign up for this program. So I wonder with the new Medicare for all, if you don't want to be in it are you going to have a choice so that's number one yeah and I right. think people don't have a choice now either i mean if you don't have health care for a whole year you know a perfect example i have a buddy of mine who is he's 40 years old um he's a single guy he doesn't have a girlfriend any kids he's very healthy active in his mind he's like i don't need health insurance like i if i get sick or cold or whatever i'll go to the doctor i could just pay that out of my own pocket i don't need health care yeah, he's forced to pay a penalty every year that he doesn't have Obamacare. Uh, 
you know, and that's a similar kind of idea with this whole Medicare thing, you know, get, getting forced to do something. I think if you if, if you worked your entire professional life for 40 years and you have a, a really nice, you know, uh, severance or retirement package from the company that you've worked at or something that you've built on your own portfolio over time that includes some type of a medical insurance, you know, program for your retirement. Why in God's green earth would somebody force you to do something? Exactly. And but. There's all sorts of reasons, and one can argue that the ACA was never about healthcare, but it was about controlling the population and basically turning us into sheep that forget how to speak for ourselves. Fortunately, that didn't happen, and there's lots of people who are speaking up, and I think this Medicare for All has brought a lot of people out of the woodwork. Uh, Just to point out, it sounds wonderful. Every single service you could possibly think of is going to be covered by the government as long as the government decides it is medically necessary. Now, this is a very important thing to remember that it's the government deciding whether something is medically necessary. Scary. So at any point, they could decide a procedure isn't. Oh, all of that is just so scary. My libertarian brain is about to explode. (laughs) Well, just recently, uh, a fellow from Great Britain sent me a link to an article where Great Britain now has decided that cataract surgery is not that useful. They've also decided that some hip surgery, hernia surgery may not be necessary to do and that some folks can just go ahead and live without having these things fixed. Yeah, and how much money and how much money in prescription? Yeah, and how much money in prescription drugs does that put into big pharma's pocket, right? We're not gonna pay for the surgery. You're gonna just keep forking out money and paying for pills and pain meds and pain management and you know, all that kind of stuff, which just, you know, lines the pockets of other people without allowing the people to make a choice. And that's a whole nother issue. Look at the opiate <laughs> epidemic yeah. that you put too many people on pain meds that perhaps you could fix the problem surgically if you just went ahead and paid for it. So that's the thing about healthcare is it's not cut and dried. It's a it's very complex and there's a whole lot of branches to that tree and you can't just take one branch and say well i'm going to fix this well it doesn't take care of the whole problem uh one one of the things with the medicare for all concept is there's something in insurance called moral hazard which means if you have a third party paying for something that you don't pay that much attention to the cost So can you imagine the moral hazard that's created if the government's going to pay 100% of everything and the patient has no co-pays, no premiums, no nothing? Now, what the patient would be paying, except they don't notice it right off the bat, is they're going to pay more taxes. And interestingly, when they do surveys and ask people, do they like the idea of Medicare for all? Say, oh yeah, it sounds good. But when they're told they're gonna have to pay higher taxes, suddenly it doesn't sound so good anymore. Yeah, I mean, because we all know, you know, like a single person, even the average cost of healthcare for that person is, you know, like three or $400 a month. And that's 
that's if you find a really good Obamacare plan that you can qualify for some subsidies to help you pay for it. Um, and even at that three or $400 price tag, you know, um, if you're, if you're, uh, you know, new into the labor force, uh, if you're, you know, a college student or, you know, all of those things, that is a lot of money to try to afford, especially if you're young and you don't necessarily need that health insurance if you're 20, 21, 22 years old. Um, and so being forced to do that, you know, is just, I don't know. It, it's, it's really underhanded, uh, uh, and then to add another layer to that, you have a lot of companies who provide health care for their employees. So they, you know, they say, hey, you know what? We value our workforce so much that we don't want to put the burden of health care um, on the employee. We're going to cover that 100 percent as a company. And if the government's making a decision for everybody that they're going to be on Medicare, then uh, is that something that helps business or is it something that uh, that detracts from business? Well, I believe it detracts because let's face it, the idea of providing health insurance to employees was when there were wage freezes during the Second World War, providing health care was a benefit. It was a perk. And so you could add that in and that didn't count as a wage. And that concept has continued through that that can add up to various benefits that your employer offers depending on the job or the company or whatever can be up to 25% increase in pay. Right. And you know, it's, it's great for the employee. It's a good recruiting tool Mm -hmm. and you can argue, well, then that's an expense the business won't have, but most businesses would rather have good people. That's what makes the business keep going. And it's a good way to uh, filter out people. So that would be gone. Well, what's worse, and this is something a lot of people don't even know, that in these Medicare for all bills, hold hold your seat. All (laughs) private insurance is prohibited unless it's for something that isn't covered by the government. And that would be like plastic surgery. Well, who gets insurance for plastic surgery anyway? The 1% so, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but it, so here we have it where the government's going to take the insurance business over or the health care business. I refuse to call it medical care because it's not. I give medical care. The government seems to want to just make healthcare systems. I think the government uh, just wants to take all of our money. I mean, and, and re- like, I, I think it, I think it really boils down to, you know, it's not even about healthcare. It's not about taking care of the people. It's not about any of that. It's to me, I feel like we're, we're in a space now where it really feels like divide and conquer. Yes. And it, and it, it makes people feel helpless to not have other choices. I just really feel like, you know, you're in the escape room and and you're looking for a way out and there is no way out because they locked all the doors. And we all like to feel like no matter what situation we're in, you have an alternative. And this is what's so wrong. This has left people with no alternative. Now, I don't think this bill will pass for many reasons. Uh, And one big one is the outlawing of private insurance. I mean, only Canada and Cuba outlaw private insurance. My goodness, even North Korea has some private medicine. So I I just don't know where we're going with that. And it it 
feeds into what you say about it's about control, not about the care. And then just on the financial level, there have been a number of studies that come to about the same figure that Medicare for all would cost $32 trillion over 10 years. That's so scary. Yeah, well, what that does is it takes like, you know, your United, your Aetna's, your Blue Cross Blue Shield, you know, all of those major, you know, four or five health insurance companies and whatever that industry looks like, which is a, you know, trillions of dollar industry for for healthcare. And that literally takes all of that revenue and puts it in the control of the United States federal government. And we all know, I mean, because history is history is history. The more control of things that the United States government has, the more apt they are to screw it up. Well, we have our (laughs) example. Just look at the VA. And from once all the problems in the VA was were exposed and the deaths that people had while people were waiting to be seen in the various clinics and whatnot. There were some 1400 laws that Congress passed to try to remedy the VA. So here's a government system. It's not good. The patients aren't well taken care of for various bureaucratic reasons. And they want to do it again for everybody. And there's not that many veterans and imagine doing it for 330 million people. Yeah, and again, that's a a very uh, similar point to what you made about Obamacare being implemented based upon 13% approval, you know, where you could probably look at the same figures and statistics around the, you know, the veterans and saying, hey, well, you know, you guys can you guys can't even take care of one percent of our population via the VA, you let alone ninety nine percent and then also demolishing the entire healthcare industry like we, nah, get real. <laughs> well, the thing that's fascinating to me and speaking of the VA that here President Trump is now allowing veterans and they ultimately pass the law to allow veterans to seek private care. So the government's own system is saying, yeah, you need a choice to go to private care. So how can this legislation kill off private care? It, it's just wrong. And then they say, well, the reason we need this is we want health care to be equitable and we want it to, <clears throat> excuse me, be fair to everyone. Well, it's going to be even more unfair because guess what? Only people with lots of money will be able to afford the, to pay the doctor cash and do some upfront treatments that perhaps the people who are on the government dole won't be able to pay. So they've, it will actually make the situation worse. Yeah, that's what we need as American people to just make stuff worse than it already is, right? (laughs) I mean, and then once the rationing and we start saying, you know, people say, oh, come on, they'd never ration care. Already, Oregon had proposed for the Medicaid patients that people on the government program there would have decreased access to opiate pain medicines. Now, people on regular insurance could have them, but no, they would they would stop them for the patients that they controlled. And if you're on Medicaid, it's because you don't have any money 
And so they're stuck. They get what they're told to do. And that's just wrong. To me, that's un-American. That's just not how we do things. Yeah, I I think you you hit the nail right on the head. Being told what to do is un-American in and of itself. It it literally is the complete opposite of what America is about with our ability to live a free life. And the thing is, everybody knows and whether they want to admit it or not, there is a reason we've got Target and Walmart and Costco and a reason that there's Walgreens and CVS and Rite Aid and, and all these other things. It's competition and it keeps the prices down. And when you start taking the competition out of medicine, the prices will go up. Yeah. And like they you and I both know they they need to not go up any more than they already is I'll, a quick a quick story. You'll laugh. So my wife and I, we had a, a we had a daughter in 2013 and uh, ended up having to do an emergency C-section um, after multiple days of labor and all kinds of weird stuff that didn't work the way that it needed to. So it's like, oh, no, somebody the, the babies flipped around backwards, umbilical cords wrapped all around after they did an ultrasound and all that. And I said, oh, no, nope, we got to go do a an emergency C-section. And I went, oh my God, how much is this going to cost? Obviously, dad, I'm like, I'm excited, you know, really excited. I'm, I'm, and, and, and should I should be excited. I should be there going, I'm having a child. This is amazing. Let me be here to care for my wife and make sure everything's fantastic. And this is a great moment of my life. But 50% of the time I was thinking that and the other 50% I'm going, oh my God, I'm going to have to set up a payment plan. I don't know how much this is going to cost. We didn't budget for this, you know, emergency C-section kind of thing. And I'm going, oh my goodness. And then we finally get our bill and, uh, you know, it was like a $108,000 bill. Uh, I had already met my deductible. So we were at this 80, 20 split, right? So thank God insurance pays 80%, but I'm still stuck with like 20 some odd thousand dollars and I'm going, wow, this is great that I have insurance, $22,000. And then I'm like, well, I would like to know what my $22,000 is. So I requested an itemized bill from the hospital so I could look at you know, what they were charging. And I, had, I knew I wasn't gonna be able to get them to change their pricing on anything. I just, for my own, own person, wanted to know, like, what am I paying for? And I'm looking through this list and I was like, just baffled at the fact that the insurance company or the hospital or whatever literally charged $750 for a bag of water, for a bag of saline water. Mm-hmm. I mean, the cost for that particular bag of saline water is probably like three bucks, right? And then you have a, nur- a, right, a nurse who needs to administer that. You know, the poor nurses over here making, you know, $25 an hour, $30 an hour, yet they're charging like $300 for them to come in, hang a bag and plug in a little plastic thing for the, you know, the, the saline water. But it was just that particular thing as I'm looking at this itemized bill going, oh my goodness, I cannot believe people get away with charging so much money for such trivial small things. Well, it's, it's what's interesting. You say you didn't think they'd change it. This is one of the little known secrets in medicine that if you say something to the hospital, a lot of times they'll cut the bill. They know that it's overpriced. And uh, particularly if you pay with cash, they'll cut the price way, way down because they have sort of fake fixed (laughs) prices for things, trying to make up for the free care. Uh, (laughs) When you talk about stories, I have a friend who had her fourth child and the baby came really 
fast and her husband called the ambulance that she just says, I think I'm having this baby. Like right now she was on the porch. The ambulance came, popped in the ambulance. She wasn't that far from the hospital. She ended up having the baby as they arrived at the hospital. So the baby was born inside the ambulance. So when she got the bill, the ambulance charged for a ride for, for two people. Two people. Mm-hmm. And she just, she said, now come on. Had I had that baby five seconds later, then it would have been charged for one person. And they said, yes, but there were two people in there. Well, she ultimately got the second person charge dropped. She just shamed them into dropping the second charge. For yeah, and that I, we did five too. Five seconds in there. Yeah, that's just crazy. Five seconds, and and we had that something happen too. Like uh, not with the ambulance, but as we were having the baby, like this administrator comes in and she's like, "Oh, all right. Well, now that you had a baby, you have uh, two people in the hospital now. Sign these paperwork and these paperwork, and then my insurance changed, right? Because I just had a, a baby, so that changed, and so now I went from like one copay or not one copay, but one uh, uh, meeting my deductible changed." while we were in the hospital because we just had a, th- a child, right? And so the, yeah. our, our, our deductible, which was 4,000, then jumped up to 6,000 that day uh, in all in one day. And I'm like, wow, this is just really messed up. And I did, I tried so hard with the administration. I'm like, you guys can't charge this much money for this stuff. And they did, they said, okay, well, you know, the bill was like $23,000 and some change or whatever. And they said, well, you know, if you give us 15,000 something, something right now, we'll just go ahead and and take that. So you don't have to pay the 22,000. But in my head, I'm like, number one, I didn't have $15,000 in the savings account to just pay that. I didn't want to put $15,000 on a 9% interest uh, credit card because I did the math on that. And that would have ultimately been more expensive than paying the 23000 that they were asking. So ultimately, I just said, hey, can you set me up on a payment plan for the minimum amount of money that I can pay? And I'll just pay it off over time. And that's what I ended up doing um, just because the system was just literally set up for me to fail. Right, right. It's uh, the... And, but these are the things that have made people think, oh, well, wouldn't single payer health care be a good idea? It would be worse. And so, it, you know, they're taking it all the way to the other extreme rather than actually sitting down and looking at the insurance system and looking what's happened to it over the years. There was a time when there were 800 companies offering health insurance many years ago. And so there was all sorts of competition and all sorts of products. And that would be one thing that would encourage you to have that plan is, oh, well, we're gonna have a cap on what your copay is or whatever. They'd have all sorts of little perks to get you to buy their product. As it is now, you have so little choice in what you can get anyway that they don't have to cater to you. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us and opening our eyes to some of the egregious activities that are happening out there in the healthcare world. Dr. Singleton, you're awesome. Amazing. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Let the listeners know where they can find out some more of your uh, written articles and some of the information that you're putting out there to the public. Okay. They can go to AAPS, as in Sam, online.org or look at my tweets at M Singleton MDJD. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Singleton. We appreciate it. And for all you folks that are out there listening to Finding a Frequency, uh, go check out the podcast. It's all over uh, the the social sphere, all over uh, the uh, 
podcast sphere as well. You can check me out on Twitter at Radio Ryan One. Jeff said at Jeff Spinney. And then, of course, we have the uh, Voice America Twitter at Voice America TRN. I want to thank all the listeners for tuning into the show today. Make sure you guys go out, do your due diligence, keep reading, keep pushing forward, keep finding out facts, keep asking questions and questioning the status quo, because that's one of the most important things that we can do uh, as citizens of this great and fantastic country is, you know, use the tools that we have that are available to keep questions, keep asking, uh, keep inquiring and make our lives better. Thanks again, Dr. Singleton. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Finding Your Frequency right here on Voice America Talk Radio. We'll be back with some more fantastic interviews right here on voiceamerica.com.